Welcome to Scott Pilgrim versus the podcast. And in this episode, we're taking down Scott Pilgrim versus the world, volume two of the graphic novel series. I'm Alex. We have a contentious relationship with this property. That's why the versus is there. I'm Justin. Uh, I'm Pete. Uh, we we all like the property, so why are we trying to take something down? <laughs> but that's the name of the podcast. The versus is in the title of the podcast, so we're versus this book. It's us mano a bucco is the way that you say it, I think. It's the same with Scott Pilgrim and the Evil Exes. He would be friends with them, except they must fight because of the versus. Mm-hmm. Every current boyfriend is, is somebody else's evil ex. Right. When I sit Is down for dinner, I pay, say it's Justin Tyler versus this food. And boy, <laughs> we go to town, but we love each other. So, yes, again, as we are making our way through the graphic novel series by Brian Lee O'Malley, working our way to the eventual Netflix series, the anime version of Spot, Scott Pilgrim, we're looking back on volume two, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. This was first published June 15th, 2005 by Oni Press. It was nominated for a 2006 Eisner Award, and it lost. Mm. Can you guys figure out, can you make a guess? Pete, I want to hear your guess, because this is going to be particularly relevant to you. Who do you think, Brian Lee O'Malley, who we love, we love this book, who do you think he lost to in 2006? 2006. And and I'll I'll even give you the category he was in. He was in Best Writer Artist Humor is the category he lost for. It wasn't uh, Tim Seeley, was it? No, you do love no. Tim Seeley, though. It's another person you love. Do you have a guess, Justin, before I say who it is? I would say Daniel Warren Johnson, but that's too early, I believe. Yeah, it's too so I'm going to go Paul Chadwick. Ooh, that's good. But I don't think he'd be up for humor. It was actually he lost to Kyle right. Baker. Kyle Baker. Oh, oh, Kyle oh. Baker. Oh, man. <laughs> Pete's friend who he hangs out outside with at night uh, at during conventions. <laughs> and that's true. That's actually a thing that happened. You it's just, it's just a fact. He wore no, his hat, they're... right? Like, again, not yeah. a joke. Yeah. There you we, go. Had, we had some fun. <laughs> yes, you did have some fun. He was nominated and won for The Baker, uh, the Bakers and Plastic Man, both of which are awesome. But uh, that was a Man, surprising so. fact to me, considering, considering how popular this book was at the time. two winners. Yes, he was also nominated for two 2006 Eagle Awards, mostly for the book, and nominated for a Wright Award as well for this book. But we're just getting started with this series here. Now, picking up on the first volume, a little bit of recap of what goes on here. Spoilers, we're going to get into it. We're going to talk about everything. If you haven't read the book, turn away, go read the book. This is Go read the book and then come back. Come back. You don't just leave and read the book. Yeah, you got to come back. Yeah, put it on pause. Make sure you come back to it later because we're going to have some notes. But in this book, Scott is now officially dating Ramona Flowers. Meanwhile, he still has to break up with Dive Chow. He hasn't done that yet. So that's a big thrust of this particular book as Ramona kind of finds out about it as the relationship deepens and they find out more about each other. Knives definitely gets broken up with, fights Ramona by the end of the book. And meanwhile, Scott is continuing to truck his way through her evil exes. In this, I was about to say issue, in this volume, he fights the second of her exes, who is Lucas Lee, a movie star. He leaves a little more change and an item than the previous ex did. And by the end, we find out who the third ex is. Uh, In addition, we flesh out a ton of the cast here. Ah. We meet some new characters. We find out more about some of the characters that we met in the first volume. So... 
listen, I still want to start very broad here because we're at the beginning of our journey through the series, not even halfway through. We had some impressions from revisiting the first volume for the first time in 20 years, maybe a little less for this one since it came out in 2005. But at the same time, almost two decades here down the road, what was your takeaway from checking out Scott Pilgrim versus the world the second time? Or third well, I have a question time? for you. Yeah. Are you guys reading the color editions or the black and white? I feel mm-hmm. like uh, mm-hmm. we didn't mention this on the, the last episode, and I, I, I'm i curious. I'm I'm reading the colored one. Whoa, that's huge for you, Pete. I'm surprised. Yeah. You Pete's love the black, black and, and white. white king. I mm-hmm. love the black and white, but the colored one uh, was uh, it was on sale or something. I don't know what happened, mm-hmm. but I got it. And if, uh, if you went to a bakery and you're like, "Hey, give me a black and white cookie," and they were like, "We only have these color cookies, but they're on sale," would you get those instead? Uh, hell yeah, they're delicious. And okay, uh, you go into a diner, you're like, "Give me the black and white shake," and they're like, "We only have this color shake." Strawberry, also shirt. known as strawberry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would, I would say, get away from me. Mm, interesting, interesting. So, shakes is where you draw the line that you don't draw with comic books. Whoa, True. he lives in a black and white world. There's no <laughs> argument there. I I'm reading the black and white versions because those are the originals. I wanted to read the color version. I actually have. I think it's just the first two. They released them as yeah. evil editions. That yeah. I, I think were just on sale at like San Diego Comic Con or New York Comic Con, and that has a bunch of ancillary material. And I keep meeting uh. to check them out, and I haven't yet. But are those the ones what? you're reading, Justin? Yes, I, and they're great. The back matter is awesome, especially in this volume, which I guess we can talk about later on. But I really enjoyed re- revisiting this. And in general, let me say, I have forgotten so much of this backstory. I think the movie has sort of crushed the story down to what yeah. is in. The, the feature. So I've lost all this original comic book knowledge and man, it is good. It's definitely, we should mention it's, it's kind of dated. Some of the sayings that they use uh, yes. were okay for the time, but now do definitely do not hold up. I think specifically, and this is what I was getting at in the last volume as well, which comes up here, he keeps using the R word, which I feel like you probably should not use anymore. It's not probably. You shouldn't use that anymore. You shouldn't use that. Uh, And, you know, that was never anything I was really saying a lot, but it's definitely growing up in upstate New York. That was Mm -hmm. a very popular word to say. Yeah. Yes, uh, of the time. I think kids saying that or 20-year-olds saying that, it makes sense now, 20 years later. That's just something you should probably cut out. There's also a lot of discussion of Knives calling Ramona fat in this volume, which, again, I think I get it from the perspective of she's 17 years old and Ramona's a little bit older. And this is kind of how this stuff works anyway. It feels very natural. But at the same time, I don't know that it necessarily holds up in this day and age. It's not something that I think necessarily would have made it through the editing process if it was published now, right? Now, for sure. But I will say from the perspective we talked about last um, last episode a lot, where these characters are imperfect. They're kids. Mm-hmm. They make mistakes. You can see that. And it, it even though it's not it, – the time has aged it even more poorly. Even back then, it was sort of like, well, don't do that. Uh, for on both of those fronts. But I think the point is, and I think this holds up from a character perspective, like they are being wrong here. And you see, especially with Scott, a little bit of a shift where he's starting to have some proto-maturity coming in at the same time he's being sort of a goober. Yeah, uh, this 
This was the big thing that I was struck by in this volume, and I don't mean this poorly because I like this book a lot, but you can feel some of the growing pains coming through here with the characters as Brian Lee O'Malley is maturing in his style as well. You know, not to jump ahead to the third volume, but that is, I think, most people consider the high watermark of the series. That's the one where it really, really came into its own before he was trying to start figuring out the end game of how the series would go. But from the nonstop innovation of the first volume to the maturity of the third volume, you got this one in the middle that feels like it's important for the arc. It's important for where the characters go. But there's a little bit of figuring out how to balance those two tones, how to dig in more emotionally while at the same time still have Scott excited about a mithril uh uh, skateboard and things like that, yeah. or big fights or jokes that are happening, um, or, or just weird fights in the middle of a library, things like that. So I don't know that it's quite as successful as the first volume for me, but there's still so much that I really loved about it. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Lucas Lee fight is worth it alone. I mean, that it's hysterical. I mean, the, I had forgotten about the part where he asked for the autograph. Like, <laughs> that was just such a hey, fun It takes moment. a little break. Yeah. I got to ask you, not to keep turning it to you, Pete, but you are a huge Luke Wilson fan. And one of the ongoing jokes in this volume is mistaking Lucas Lee for Luke Wilson. And then later on, there's another character that he mistakes is actually named Luke Wilson, I Luke think, Wilson, but not yeah. Luke Wilson, the actor. Unrelated Luke Wilson. Uh, yeah, How'd no you feel relation. about that, Pete? Well, uh, I thought I thought it's a fun bit. I thought for sure it was just a, a really fun bit. I, I, it also makes me really love the the movie uh fight i think you know chris evans as the lucas lee was such an amazing fun choice but i also really love uh the lucas lee in this uh comic as well this whole like oscar thing was hysterical um yeah just really more intimidating yeah yeah but the chin beard kind of like uh, beard look was just it's such a it's it's a perfect kind of thing that i think they did a great job on the, Pete, uh, this the, is a, maybe a foolish question, but what are your Wilson Brothers power rankings? Mm, oh, wow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Because there's there's Luke, there's Owen, and then there's right. the third one. Right. Yeah, and the third one was unbelievable in that um, – God, I loved him in the, the – it was that roll, uh, roller derby movie um, with a bunch of amazing actors, uh, and I thought he was hysterical in that. Okay, quit dodging the question and give us the rankings. I well, that's the thing. I'm I'm kind of stalling because my the real answer is the unheard of Luke first, hmm. then uh, the unheard of Wilson. Yeah, the unheard of Wilson, then Luke, then Owen. Hmm. Wow, you got really? the unheard, the unnamed. Really, where first. would you rank the one from this volume? The one that doesn't exist in real life in that list as well. Yeah, uh, he would be fourth. He would be fourth. Yeah. Oh, okay. oh, interesting. I thought since that he was the most vague and unseen, maybe that would yeah. make him first. So first, the Wilson who was in the roller derby movie we don't remember the name of. Then Luke and Wilson, Future Man from Bottle Rocket. Right. Then mm-hmm. Luke Wilson. Then Owen Wilson. Then yeah. Luke Wilson again, but the other Luke Wilson. Exactly. Don't mix them up. 
Okay. Because uh, I want to say, like, this comic that we're talking about um, references Bottle Rocket. Oh, yeah. Uh, the first Wes Anderson movie uh, starring uh, Luke and Owen Wilson. And uh, reading it here, isn't it nice when uh, the things that we like are in the things that we like? You know what I mean? Like when the characters in something we like like the same things that we like. I lo- I love that. Yeah. yeah I th- mean, I, I totally... I, I, Oh, I, I just wanted to say on the Wes Anderson and all, do you think that influenced this book? Like there's a lot of in this volume in particular, like a lot of landscapes, a lot of centering of characters. He plays with camera angles in a different way. We have those big, that very fun recurring bit of establishing shots of actual places in Canada where he gives the hours that they're open and yeah. closed, which I love that bit. Yeah. But it all feels very Wes Anderson to me in a certain way. Well, I think the Bottle Rocket reference is deliberate because I think tonally it's very similar in that the comedy in Bottle Rocket, Bottle Rocket, one of the funniest Wes Anderson movies, even though it was way back in his first feature length movie, is so like dry in the same way that Scott is, I think, especially mm-hmm. in this volume. And very much like, you know, in, in Bottle Rocket, they're robbing this cold storage facility. And it's one of the funny sequences. And it's very Scott Pilgrim to me. Agreed. What were you going to say, Pete? Before I, I, I interrupt you, you kind of you ruin the moment. Um, I think it's one of those things. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Uh, I I also just like what Justin was saying about somebody liking the things that you like. Uh, Scott Pilgrim's rant about like getting a job so he could get free burritos. I felt very seen in that. I thought that was a real mm. uh, a fun moment of like I, I love the person that story. being completely over. You know, like this is, has no relevance, and he's like, no, no, you don't understand. The burritos were, it was a Tex-Mex, but I just thought that was so funny. Well, I love the emotional layers that we get in this book through conversations between Ramona and Scott. It feels so true to the real beginning of a relationship where that's what you're doing. You're talking through all these previous ridiculous stories. You're not specifically addressing the heartache in a deep way that maybe will come later. But the way that Scott gets at it and we start to wipe away those layers of pain that he's been feeling since his breakup with Envy Adams is yeah. what we find yeah. out by the end of the book is, is great. It it makes you really feel for him. I think in a way that you don't necessarily feel for him in the first volume, you enjoy yeah. him as a character in the first volume, but here you start to understand him and start to understand why he is such a goober to use the term that you were using, Justin. Well, and also like to the the overlapping of all these relationships at once is so like the time in your life when you're in your early 20s and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm really attracted to this person, but I just broke up with this person and I'm sad, but I'm currently dating this person. Mm-hmm. It's very like the all these trains run in parallel and, and perpendicular to each other. It's the book captures that feeling so well. I think that's why it, it keys into people when they first read it, especially if you read it at that age or right after. So, and rereading it, I'm like, it takes you back to when you're at that age. Yeah. Like, ah, I love this person, but I really need to break up with the person that I loved yesterday, but now I want to break <laughs> up with immediately. Yeah. Well, I think it also like the, 
not so important conversations, but are so important conversations. Like when they're at the show and all of a sudden it just kind of cuts away from action to hear these two people just kind of talking about the show. And then later two people who are like, oh, my God, that girl smokes. Oh, that is so cool. You know, like it's just so random, but yet says a lot. I really love those slice of moment stuff that you get in this comic. It's such a great idea for giving you the headspace of the characters and what's going on and other people in the same venue, which is unique. You don't get that a lot. It's usually just what are the main characters doing? Where are the main characters in this setting? You know, other people around the main characters. So just like the kind of random or slice of life that you get that sets this tone that kind of really encapsulates everything that the, this comic is about is is such a cool, uh, great thing that I think is is just so smart. Well, on top of that, I feel like the main character syndrome that Scott has, and he it works for him because he actually is the main character, but I feel like <laughs> that is all inherent to all of us when we're young like that, where we're like, yeah, those people are talking about what I'm dealing with because what I'm dealing with is so important. It's going <laughs> to shut down this whole club until we get this resolved. And that's yeah. also just a great capture of youth. Uh, but I do want to say we should really talk about the main character of this book, um, Kim Pines, the name, the real title of this book, Kim Pines versus. The mm, I thought you were going to say oh. Young Neil for a second because he's my. Oh, wow, I love. Him. Oh, he's your yeah? favorite. I love Young, young Neil. Now, he looks exactly. He's already dating he guys. Come on, he's a betrayer. He's just he's a, a nice, guy, guy, supportive guy. He he's Scott with none of the problems. What? Wow. <laughs> he, he is. What? He looks exactly like a smaller Scott. But he's not yeah. problematic. He's just a nice guy. Knives is using him in this book. We can yeah. talk about that a little bit. But it's okay. He's having a nice time and he's trying to be supportive of her and loving. I can't believe you. Justin brought up a very valid thing that I wanted to talk about. And then you just throw a grenade down the hall to be like, oh, yeah? Have fun talking about whatever you wanted to. No, it's fine. We can Our talk Young about... Neil versus the World podcast is much shorter. Than yeah. <laughs> now, who did you want to talk about? Kim Prine was the name of the character. Oh, come on, yeah. man. John Pine. I'm so happy I... to get more Kim info. It's, you know, Kim it's Pro, something. Oh, nice. <laughs> it's something that the movie doesn't address at all. And I think the backstory of, you know, Scott, who, you know, kind of being in his own world and maybe being a dick and, and not being respectful of other people uh, kind of quickly fell in love with and then quickly fell out of love with Kim. And she just has to kind of like roll with it, you know? So uh, I, I really loved what they did and said, and I wanted so much more um, in this issue of, of Kim and her feelings. Well, I'm curious in the leading up to the, uh, the new um, TV animated series, are we going to get more Kim? Is yes. the future of Scott Pilgrim outside of the end of this series a relationship with Kim Pines? Outside, like going forward at the end? That's that's yes. a crazy thing. That's a great. That's what I think is going to happen in the animated show. I think the animated okay, show. You're jumping too far. You're getting too far ahead of your skis you're here. Getting hot I takes on think, hot though, takes now. This backstory that we're talking about, this great sequence where. Kim flashes back to her relationship, meeting Scott, what that was like. We see a big fight sequence, all the stuff that we didn't get in the movie and maybe I, I do think we'll get in the animated series. Yeah. Because it is really cinematic. It's very much mm -hmm. leading into like, 
I don't know. I don't know what the comp is. It's not exactly a Western per se, because it's very video game infused. Maybe there's a little bit of like Miyazaki with the wind blowing and the leaves and everything there. Um, Whatever it is, it's very cool, and it comes in the middle. It does also point to, I'm trying to be careful here with my language because I don't want to set Pete, because again, I like this stuff, but one of the faults with the book is it blows out the cast so much that there are certain yeah. times when it's like, it's swerving focus all over the place um, to set up these characters for later that we like and the sequences yeah. we like, but it does lead to this very fractured feel where there were points, even though I've read through this whole series, watched the movie, et cetera, where I was having a little bit of a hard time keeping track of like, wait, who, who are we with right now? Which, which of the many women in this book that all have brown hair are we following necessarily? But yeah, you're like, how, how does this character relate to young Neil, the only character that I, Alex Salvin, <laughs> care about? You should see my murder board. It is wild. Young Neil in the middle and everything comes out of that. Yeah, no piece of yarn connects to him, but he is in the middle of the book. <laughs> yeah, it's like he's a little observing. fly caught in the spider's web that is this book. Yeah. Uh, Kim's stuff yeah. is great. What do we feel? I want to ask this right now because I know Pete has some strong feelings here. Just based on having read the first two volumes here, Team Ramona or Team Knives? Pete, take it away. Well, the, the, you know, you're trying to set me up here, but I, I just think it's one of those things where – it's interesting when I'm reading, kind of going back to revisit it, because there is a Ramona part in here that I was struggling with because I'm I'm hard team knives, but the like the walk and talk that uh, she does with Scott Pilgrim in this, where they're kind of getting to the bottom of stuff, and she casually kind of Ramona is just like, oh my god, that's your answer. I want to break up with you, and then they kind of change subjects, and it's never kind of brought up again. I was like, oh, I don't like that. I don't like how casually her, her, you know, she's treating this relationship. And you can tell that Knives takes it very seriously because you get an amazing attack uh, in the mall, which is hysterical. I love the bit of Ramona just like grabbing things and then just like having super strength and be able to rip stuff out of the ground. I love that. I think that's such so a good. fun. Yeah. Pete, you're the huge, you're a huge rom-com fan. The fact that your team knives is mind boggling. It's like watching Sleeps in Seattle and being like, I love Bill Pullman. <laughs> he's <laughs> well, the one that Bill she's Pullman. supposed he's to a, end up he's with. He's a great actor. He does he does great work. You should love Bill Pullman. I'm not saying the actor, I'm saying the character of the uh, the man with bad allergies that Meg Ryan mm. is desperately trying to get out of the relationship with so she can go be with Tom Hanks. And here you are being a Pullman, a Pullmaniac. Here's the thing. I'm gonna kind of back up Pete a little bit, at least based on this volume. And here, the reason is that you feel more for Knives over the course of this book because she's being so mistreated by Scott versus Ramona. We get, I think it is Kim calls out, or maybe it's Stacy Pilgrim, uh, Scott's sister, is like, actually, maybe you guys are good for each other because you're both kind of like callous and mean and sort of focused on yourselves. Yeah, Yeah. narcissistic. Uh, That's a simpler way of saying that. But we don't, we still, two volumes in, we don't know much about Ramona. We don't get her head. Like Pete was saying, she defers everything. And that's stuff that we will pick up later. But right now, this relationship is all about Scott. And it's all about everything that Scott is putting in there. And he is the title mm-hmm. character. But it still leans into that Maddox Pixie dream girl trope because we don't get anything about her yet other than her relationship with Scott 
and a little bit from what we hear on the other characters. So in terms of a romantic thing, like I don't think Knives should be with Scott because he's awful, but in terms of feeling for a character, I'm definitely more team knives than team Ramona as of this volume. Leading into your knives, Neil ship that you're trying to push (laughs) on us here. I just, I I hope, I hope the books lean into that. Do they? I, I'm not sure, but I assume so. Young Nile by uh, the <laughs> Scott Pilgrim versus the great relationship that Young Neil and Knives Chow have. Volume the, the thing is, like, I, I take your point. Like, Knives is going through all the emotions. And I think this book actually does a great job of just very artistically showing what it feels like to be like to declare love for someone and be immediately cut off from it mm-hmm. by the breakup. Like, and over the course of the book, she, when she dyes her hair, we get, actually get a lot of time with her and it's great. She has the bigger emotional moments, but the, the Ramona stuff is purposefully being withheld here because we have to build it up over the course of these, of these volumes. And secondarily, they're in the phase where it is all light and fun and walking and talking about everything and anything in the world. So it makes sense that it's not really heavy with emotion. It's all the, the poppy stuff. But I would argue the real relationship here is is Kim Pines I agree. to Scott. And like the, the book is putting all the emotion on that. We feel her pain. She's much more present with Scott. The way she talks to Ramona and confesses that she dated Scott in high school, I was like, what? That's such an exposure to do yeah. that. And it, if this were a rom-com, and it technically is a more traditional rom-com, it'd be building toward a Kim-Scott relationship, I feel like. I love that we have all read these books several times, watched the movie several times, and we're still like, ooh, I got these ships. I hope they really pan out. Like, really we'll, we'll, see. we'll see. We'll see. All our quarters, dialing it up, <laughs> dialing up the fan base. Yeah, it's the three big teams of the book. We got Pete shipping Knives and Scott. We got Justin shipping Kim and Scott. We got me over here with Young Neil doing whatever and I'm and doing. Knives. Nobody knows. <laughs> Nobody knows. <laughs> It's a bunch of nonsense. There you go. What else in this volume jumped out at you? What other scenes or things would you like to call out? Yeah, I really love the Envy phone call Mm -hmm. and like the ramifications of that of like the I love the back and forth of like it really felt like someone was in a relationship because like she you just see the three dots and Scott being like what? Like that's somebody who knows somebody well enough when they're not talking to be like, what, what do you, what is going on? You know, cause otherwise, you know, you might just be like, all right, you know, they don't have anything to say, but the, just the, the kind of history that's shown there in those little moments, I think is so great and powerful. And that how it just wrecks Scott to have to talk to his ex. And he's just laying there on the floor when his roommate gets home is such that's a, great. I just think you know, Brian Lee O'Malley has been through some shit. He has enough life experience and had his heart broken and been through some stuff to be able to kind of showcase this in a way that is clear that somebody is not reading about it. They've they've experienced it. They know what's up. A hundred percent. And you see Envy being like badass, beautiful. Everyone loves her. Yeah. Except for Scott, because she broke his heart. Like, I, I think that's so good. The shots of Clash of Demonhead are so good. Clash oh of Demonhead named after a, uh, famously named after a Nintendo game. She's so shitty about sex, bomb, but her band is also named after like a NES thing. Like, I love that 
Just all the little knives, uh, lowercase k, being oh, twisted oh, here oh. all at once. Uh, so th- that is all great. I want to shout out the uh, the recipe I thought was really oh, great. Oh, yeah, that's fun. <laughs> when I was talking about how like Scott has some proto-maturity happening here when he's Ramona's over at his garbage apartment, and he's like, I cook. And she's so impressed. And that's such a like a, I'm a little grown up here, yep. even though yep. he loves garlic bread. And then we get a <laughs> recipe, which is such an old school comic book thing to do, indie comic thing to do. And it was great, especially because this recipe is happening during this huge emotional moment where that we set up in the first half of the book, first third of the book with Kim meeting Ramona. She's clearly upset. We've been following Kim into this situation. And we have a recipe and Kim being like, oh, I used to date Scott. Like, yeah. I, I love the way that all just packages together. Yeah. I also really liked, you know, their kind of attention to detail with their friends, which is awesome. Like, you got a haircut? Kim's wearing high heels. You know what I mean? Like these little things that other people might not notice, but because yeah. you spend so much time with them, it's, you know, it you do notice it is a big deal. So... Uh, I, I just the attention to detail on this kind of stuff really jumps out, especially the second, third time reading it. It's just uh, it just really clicks, really, f- really clicks. You're famously haircut blind, Pete, right? You can't see yeah. hair. Yeah, hair I haircuts. think a lot of men are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The couple of things that I wanted to call out in that scene with where they're having dinner, we get what I would say are probably the two biggest takeaway lines from Scott Pilgrim. Uh, Bread makes you fat. The other one is I'm in lesbians with you, which people say both of those way too much. I think them way too much and then censor myself and don't say them because I'm cool. It's interesting how much of this book has is in your brain. Last Mm -hmm. episode, you talked about how you and your wife, uh, my hair looks like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's funny. This yeah, book the bread makes you fat every time with garlic bread. Bread makes you I fat. Love, I love garlic bread. I do also oh, love garlic bread. Garlic bread is uh, awesome. so. There's that. Uh, this is maybe a little bit of a bigger takeaway thing, but I like the different gradations. We were sort of touching on this just a little bit before, but the different gradations in terms of how the friend group treats each other. We talked about in the first volume that they straight up hate Scott. Like, they just think he's the absolute worst. But at the same time, they know what Envy did to Scott and hurt him was even worse than that. So to see them switch to be on his side and be like, oh my God, she called you? What was she doing? That's terrible. That also feels very true to a friend group because there are friends Mm -hmm. that you're like, God damn it, I hate that guy. Why does he always hang out with us? But also, you would defend him with your life at the same time. Yeah, it goes to, maybe it's just me, but most of my relationships are built around, like, I love these people so much, and I express it by roasting them and by, like, (laughs) calling out things. That's how I grew up, and that's how I definitely behave. Have you guys ever experienced this? Say say less. Not yet. Not yet. Say less. (laughs) Uh, So I feel like that is also very, like, I really, that really resonates with me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I also um, – oh, God, the roommate fun with Kim was really great. But also, like, the the moment of, like, um, Scott talking to his sister and then being like, you hung out with Ramona? And she's like, I don't know. Why is she – you know, and it was just, like, such a – I feel like such a cool a small moment that I think was uh, – Again, just it just really feels like someone who knows and has kind of uh, been there, and, and it just like 
understand siblings and also like when one person's freaking out. So I just feel like there's just so much little stuff going on that's so enjoyable. I also really like Wallace being his trainer. That's a great position for Wallace, but also not being <laughs> yeah. very good at it at the same yeah. time or not. I've heard push ups is a lot. Yeah, but also he just like doesn't care quite enough to do the best job possible. I love Scott getting into the fight with Lucas and then immediately just straight up getting cartoon destroyed to the point where yeah, like, yeah. hold on, uh, stop. Do you want some carrot sticks? Do you want to like just chill out for a second and chat? That's very yeah, right. fun. Also, the yeah. way that he beats Lucas by tricking him into doing a dangerous skateboarding move. Yeah. Very fun turnout there. Right. Uh, there was one thing I wanted to throw out to you. Last episode, we were talking about whether there was somebody better to cast than Michael Sarah mm. as Scott Pilgrim in the movie. This volume, it, it was present in the first volume as well, but in this volume, there's a lot of like Scott being a sweet kind of dumb guy and then immediately flying into fits of rage. So I present to you, maybe a good pick for Scott Pilgrim would have been in his prime Adam Sandler. What are you guys oh, wow. <laughs> right? Wow. Uh, that's interesting. That's interesting. I don't know. For some reason, he doesn't have the same wide-eyed goofball nature yeah. that <laughs> Scott has here, but I could see a little... You know he could pull off the uh, the sort of bigger acting moments as we've seen in some of his movies. Yeah. Bring that uncut gems. He could do it now. He could be. He could do Billy Madison, but for Scott Pilgrim, redo. I can't oh, tell man. if you're baiting us or we're yeah, trying exactly. to make I me happy. I honestly can't tell either at this point. Uh, That's how I was raised. I thought we were going to each other until it all shuts down. That's great. Uh, I thought we were going to talk about maybe uh, the different casting for Lucas. What do you oh. think? Chris oh, other than Chris Evans. Yeah. Chris Evans, this is arguably his greatest role of all time. What are you talking about? I don't know about that, but he is perfect. And it was a perfect timing as well for getting Chris Evans before he was in his Captain America days. He was the douche from so many comedy movies. Absolutely great. So did you have another suggestion, Justin? Yeah, yeah. Justin, what are, you, what are you saying by bringing this up? I was saying before that um, Chris Evans is um, sort of very friendly and nice. And this Lucas Lee in the comic is a little bit more aggressive, big, scarier. What about Jason Momoa? (laughs) (laughs) Or or John Cena. Yeah. Or to throw it out there, if you want somebody that brings like a little bit of that danger to the role, maybe like a baby Hitler. Like you go back in time, grab baby Hitler, bring him forward. Stop. Why would you do this? I'm just saying, give him a chance. Give him a chance. Don't do this every episode, man. You don't have to do listeners may be able to spot the baby Hitler reference in all of our episodes. Scott Pilgrim versus the podcast. That's not, that's not fun. A couple other things I want to say Um, in the beginning, Scott's dad looks just like an older Stephen Stills secretly. Maybe they're brothers something to think about love the reference to comics uh aren't just for kids anymore uh bam pow comics aren't aren't just for kids on the the now magazine which uh, if you don't know is like a very cliched article and headline that went around for literally years around the time when we first started doing comic book club and comics really entered the mainstream and then finally shouts and r.i.p to gord downey frontman of tragically hip that uh, they reference here at band rehearsal. Great yeah. band. He uh, died long after this book was published. Uh, I've seen Tragically Hip a ton of times. 
Really great. Gl- love the shout out there. Again, I like when characters I like like the same things that I like. Yeah, notice that. Uh, I loved every time uh, Scott hit the pause button. That was just such a fun kind of visual thing that they did. What was that? They just wrote like pause up there when he was like, you know. Oh, okay. Fun. I see what you're saying. Uh, yeah. <laughs> great book. Really good still. Good series. I guess we'll keep covering it, even though we started very aggressively at the beginning of the episode. Very anti this book. But I, I think we've won each other over by the end here. So so huh? the book wins this round is, I guess. Oh, okay. <laughs> I see what you're saying. All right. We lose again? We, oh we and lost two. again. Man, oh, this man. is rough. Oh, and two. If you I, haven't like to undefe- I haven't gone undefeated since JV soccer. When, or, sorry, I haven't gone fully defeated since JV soccer. Uh, when we went 0 and 18. Yeah, it's a big difference in story there. Yeah. If you'd like to support this podcast and all the podcasts we do, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about Scott Pilgrim. Android, Apple, Spotify, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, Comic Book Club Live on TikTok and Instagram, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Uh, Next time... We'll be taking on Scott Pilgrim, Volume 3. Let's see. Uh, oh, yeah. Come on. We, that's, we're taking that one for sure. I can guarantee it. What if Adam Sandler played all the roles? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nutty Professor style? The clubs. Oh, that's it. Is the clubs. <laughs> <laughs>